Good evening, music friends and friends of music. I'm your host, Steve, and welcome to the final B-side of 2016. You know, it's not often that music bloggers throw around phrases like high-level pop rock with strains of retro, folk, and psych, but sometimes the shoe just fits. Tonight's band, Easy TV, may be relatively new to most listeners, but they've already made a name for themselves as potent purveyors of power pop, and they've been busy following up their 2015 debut album, Calling Out, with this year's High In Place. Surely there's much more to come, starting with an hour of music and chatting on tonight's B-side. Stay tuned. got so many questions here, and I think I know where to start. It might seem like our suddenly a band that has a record deal and have two records out and captured tracks. That all happened in the past, what, year and a half or two years? I want to talk a little bit about how you guys all met before this band, because I know you personally, and I know that you've known each other for a long time. So yeah, where did you guys meet? Uh, well, we all met in New York when we came here for college. Michael was the first person I met in Spanish class. Uh, when he said, soy de Tacoma, Washington, and I said, soy de Seattle, Washington, we felt sparks right away. <laughs> and uh, I think you were the first person I started playing music with, and then later Ezra, and we toiled in obscurity for many years, and now we're toiling in semi-obscurity. You guys went to NYU. NYU, yeah. And some of you went for the recording program, right? Yeah, me and Shane did. And okay. You journalism? Journalism and English. So, real quickly, if you could each just say how many bands you were in before you all met, um, just give me a number. Just to, I want to put this into perspective. It's like. You think a band just comes together and makes a record, you know, you've all had been playing music for how many years before you guys even met, and then it took, we'll talk about how long it took for you guys to form this band, but how many bands were you in before you all met in college? Shane? Um, half a dozen to ten, to ten, something like that. Yeah, I played my first show when I was 11 years old at my own birthday party. <laughs> and we played two songs, Closing Time by Semisonic and uh, Wonderwall by Oasis. Michael? Like all, all time, all bands? Before you guys so met. We... Yeah, marching band, that was my first band. Okay. <laughs> Ezra? I'd say probably only three. I'm kind of stubborn. I like to like only play my own songs. But still, you were all, before you even met, you had all been in at least three bands. Then you guys meet in college, and 
I know the two of you were in another group together called Strange Shapes. I want to take the whole audience on a little history lesson before we get to Easy TV. But uh, tell us a little bit about that band. Yeah, so Ezra started Strange Shapes with three other friends. I was just a fan. I saw their first show and I said, I want to be in that band. And I weaseled my way into that band. Um, but there were a lot of bands back then. You were one of them too, one of note. Uh, Delicate Steve was probably like the first band in our friend group that started to do something. And we uh, had a lot of jealousy and wished you ill for many years. No, I'm just Here kidding. we all are. And then Michael had a great band called Widow's Peak back then too. So yeah, it was like we had this little group of friends where we all played in each other's groups and then it all sort of calcified and we started doing our own different things. And then you all start working on demos for this band or was Ezra the one who started making demos and then you guys got interested in... Uh... Well, we got sort of a strange call. I think we were in Montreal just doing nothing, going to see shows. Um, and Michael called, said there was a tryout to be in Spiritualized's backing band because he had just sacked his band. He was about to like play Coachella or something crazy. So we got together and like frantically learned those songs and failed that audition pretty badly, but then realized Michael was a great drummer, so. Yeah, so the stuff that you, we were living together at the time, so Ezra was working away in his back room making demos, and I would listen to them through the wall. And uh, yeah, after we jammed with Michael on spiritualized stuff, we were like, maybe we should just get together and play with Michael, because he just has like, I feel like, the right chemistry to bring the songs out. Sometimes the hour gets very long. I'm losing my patience when I I should be carrying I want to talk about touring, because you were just on tour. How was that experience, if you could generalize? Was it fun? Was it easy? Was it hard? I think it was all of those things, kind of. We did like about two months, including going to Europe, which was really fun. Unfortunately, we were playing with a band, and the lead singer broke his jaw in a parking lot after one of the shows, so we had to cancel about half of that tour. So you turned it into like a European so vacation. It became a bit of a vacation. Well, we like scrambled after that happened and uh, energized the network. So we set up a couple extra shows in <laughs> London, and then our friends in this band, Quilt, happened to be playing in Paris. And uh, they talked to the promoter and got us on. So then our tour turned into touring by rail. 
So we took trains around, played that show in Paris, which was really fun. But we started the kind of touring season by probably doing the most fun tour that maybe anyone's ever been on, which was um, playing with uh, Jenny Lewis this summer while she was touring the 10th anniversary of the Rabbit Fur Coat record. And that was just like out of this world, like when I was in my bedroom as a middle schooler dreaming about what it would be like on tour, it was all of that. It was so great, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that experience happen more and more the longer you play music? If you were in your bedroom, your younger self being on tour, did it feel real when you were in the moment or were you freaking out like a, like a little kid? Describe that feeling because it's something that happens as you play music more and more and you know you try out to become the background band for Spiritualize and it's like kind of like not a big deal. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean it is weird, but I don't think it's that different from anybody who's progressing through any particular career. I mean you have the downside of getting used to this stuff, which can definitely happen, and I've seen that happen to a lot of bands where it just turns into kind of a slog and a job. So I think we're still firmly placed in the area of just feeling appreciative and having a lot of fun and being as present as possible. Do you have a, a manager as a, as a band? We manage ourselves. Put that into perspective, your European tour suddenly gets canceled halfway through the tour and you guys manage to get your own shows out of it. I don't have a question for you, I just want to be like, it's, it's crazy, like, like. Yeah, go for it, man, look in the camera, tell us all about it. It's crazy, it's crazy. <laughs> Which camera, I'll, tell, I'll look in all of them. Um, it's crazy. Imagining your favorite rock stars from whatever era before this, ever having to think about half of the stuff you have to think about when you are in an active band. It's just such a trip. And, it's part uh, of the work. What's that? It's part of the work. It's part of the work. It's just part of the... the uh, if you sat down and thought about how crazy it was, I think it would be overwhelming. Yeah. Your, our tour just got canceled. We're in <laughs> Europe. We have to find shows to play that have already been booked for months. Well, congratulations for being so resourceful because I feel like that's... Uh, one of the ways to be a successful band. And by successful, I mean just being able to do what you do and continue to play music, which is uh, something that I think is really cool. How, how much are you guys thinking about the future when you guys are in this band? You have like short-term goals of, now you just finished a tour and you're gonna think about writing new songs, I assume, and making a new record or? Well, I was, I was reading um, Jack from this band Ultimate Painting we just toured with gave me a book of Dean Wareham from Luna, wrote an autobiography. And I was, I think of him, as, you know, he's in Galaxy 500, super successful, well-known guy. But reading his biography just made me realize like how broke he was. I mean like, just like, I think to even just be able to put out albums and have a long career, I mean, career's even maybe the wrong word. Just be able to do it is a success. Get
Ezra, tell us about this guitar you got here. This is... You're the first person to ask me that. Oh. Um, it's a uh, Baby Bison Baldwin guitar. A Baby Bison Baldwin. In general, how important is the gear you guys have to the songwriting process for you? Are you in your apartment jamming on that guitar and that's how you come up with guitar sounds? Are you demoing stuff on... Yeah, I, dem I demo stuff a lot. I mean, I collect equipment as a hobby, but I try not to have that be a focal point of like songwriting. Like, I do actually a lot of my songwriting just on an acoustic guitar without any effects or whatever. Speaking of acoustic guitar, who do we have over here joining you guys on the Guild? I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> no, this is Christian Peslak. <laughs> Easy TV is a three-piece in the studio, and after we made our first record, Jarvis Tavernier of Woods, who was producing the album, was really trying to get us to play as a four-piece live, to the point where it got where he was like, I'm going to play a guitar at the next show. And you guys are just gonna have to deal with it. We were just very against it at first. And then when we did, we were like, all right, this is starting to sound really good. So he did Inception on us and made us realize that we needed some, <laughs> somebody live. So we've been fortunate enough to play with a bunch of really great guitar players. And now Christian Peslak, somebody you know very well, mm. mm -hmm. is with us, mm -hmm. singing and playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to tie this all in, Christian and I, We've played music for years together mm -hmm. in multiple bands, which this just goes to show you guys might be watching a band playing. Maybe you guys didn't even have any idea that Christian is a live member. You might also not know that Christian makes his own music. What else might they not know? That Christian and I <laughs> that were Christian in a band. Christian lives in Shane's basement. Yeah, Christian I live in Shane's basement. basement. There's so many. We're going to make all of these connections Steve, right now. Steve, me and you, we just shared our eight-year Facebook friend anniversary. I saw that, I saw that. That's cute. <laughs> it was nice. Now, Chris, why don't you fill us in on some of the musical projects you've been a part of over the years? Um, well, I played in a band called Delicate Steve for a long time. You mm -hmm. might have heard of it, mm -hmm. Steve. What was that like? It was uh, really great. It was a great experience for me. Um, I have my own band too called St. Rich. We put a record out on Merge like a couple years ago. And now I'm working on my big, uh, my big project, which I can't talk about right now. Contractually. <laughs> Another little connection here is that Christian, Shane, and I were all in this band St. Rich together with a guitar player named Marshall who was in a band <laughs> with Ezra and Shane, the band you we were talking about earlier called Strange Shape. So it seems like the music community is kind of small. This is just like five things where, where we're all related in it, and, and this stuff happens all the time, I feel like. Sounds guys, like I wasn't mm -hmm. invited. <laughs> you were off making your solo <laughs> drum record. <laughs> Thank you. 
how important for all of you, now to bring the conversation to fashion, is fashion for your band. Are you guys going uh, today? Oh, today's a uh, Thursday. It's a show day. Gonna iron my whatever. No. no. <laughs> so. I've been living out of a suitcase because I just sublet my apartment <laughs> to a tour. So I have been, this is the third day that I've worn this. Okay, okay. But it's a very nicely packed suitcase if we want to talk about it. You guys look great, I'm just. Someone, when we went up and played a show, someone came up afterwards and said that I really like you guys because you just look like normal guys. Like you were just hanging out at the bar and then you just walked on stage and there was no fuss. So maybe we're sort of anti-fashion. I don't know, but then we also got that guy on Twitter who was tweeting about what we were wearing, but it was only during the sound check. So it must have just been the sound guy. Mm. Oh, the the timestamp betrayed him. Yeah, sure. yeah, he took great <laughs> offense to the fact that Ezra was wearing all white and something about Memor Labor Day or Memorial Day or something like that and called us S-birds. Mm. I'll let you fill in the blank. Shysters. So I don't know. I mean, some people think we're just normal guys, and some people think we're a little too Brooklyn. Okay, you're playing the Hollywood Sportatorium, which is in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Um, it's located 26 miles from downtown Miami. You guys have one guest list spot left, and your manager informs you that both John Denver and Cher are in town and inquiring about seeing the show. Who do you give it to and why? This is a Michael question. <laughs> What's the significance of the date for John? What do you mean? Does he die the next day? No, no, he died in the 90s. So oh. they're in their prime. Oh, okay. They're in their prime. Yeah, yeah. 73. Share. Why? So I could ask about Sonny? That's <laughs> a good answer. Yeah, I don't, there's no right or wrong. <laughs> I think EZTV has plenty of John Denver in our, like, ethos, you know what I mean? I think a little bit of that share could rub, rub off and, you know. Potentially could, alter the fate of... Or just band. benefit from a little bit of that vibe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And also Cher is a much more special person if we're really thinking about it. Like, who's truly, like, more unique. Did uh, you guys see that documentary on John Denver? No. No. It's pretty good. <laughs> Should we watch it now? <laughs> What do you guys? Uh... What do we want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, what do you guys want to talk about? I want to give the floor <laughs> to you guys. Should we do some Mad Libs right now? No, let's. Audience participation. Like, what do you want to tell these people sitting here right now? Is there anything you want to try to convey to them? I want to try to get um, this. Um, we can talk here. about how we put our most recent record together. So, on our second record, we produced it ourselves because Ezra and I are engineers and went to school for that. So with the little extra money we had by saving on that, we um, got guest producers to come in 
on different songs on a song-to-song basis. And we, uh, for that song, Temporary Gold, we got one of our favorite artists working right now, Chris Cohen, to come in and truly just like produce it. We gave him a pretty raw demo and spent two days in the studio with Actually, him I didn't. Too. I was too nervous to give him the demo ahead of time. Oh, so really? I gave it to him the day of. I wish I had done that. But yeah. I was freaking out because I love him so much. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably the most nerve-wracking one. I mean, I had a meltdown at a certain point where I was just like, maybe, Chris, you should just play the bass. I don't know what to do, man. And then he, like, calmed me down, showed me what to do. And tell us, tell the audience who Chris Cohen is and why uh, he's so special to you guys. Um, he's just, he's a musician. He's on our label, Capture Tracks. Um, he's also, he played in Deerhoof, and he's also played in a number of other bands. I think he was playing in Ariel Pink's band. He had a band called Crypticize. He's just a great musician who's been around for a while. Uh, aside from him, do you guys have any other real strong sonic influences that help shape your the recording process, not necessarily the songwriting, but you guys being recording engineers, like do you guys have another studio uh, that you really like what came out of, or a producer, uh, could be somebody who's been, who isn't contemporary, but. Uh... There's a danger for a band like us to get pigeonholed and talked about as if revivalists in a certain way, so it's not like we're, explicitly trying to sound like we're from a certain era. It's more like, you know, we'll be sitting in the studio, time to do a guitar part, and we'll be like, oh, there's this Chris Bedding song where the acoustic guitar has like a bunch of chorus on it. Let's listen to it and do that. And then sometimes it'll be something really contemporary. I don't know, I think the objective more than anything is to create something timeless, try to sneak in some of our own new recording ideas without sounding too like reverential. you guys think in those kind of terms when you're when you're recording? What about a part that's like calling out other artists? If uh, I could sound like any of the people who I was inspired by, even the slightest bit, that's a good day. Sure. <laughs> cool. Do you guys have any um, bands that you really like that are around now? Maybe label mates or others? Bands you've toured with or seen in Brooklyn that you want to rep right now? Yeah, we uh, really like this band Omni that we played with, as well as uh, Sheer Agony from those, Montreal. Okay, Montreal bands. Well, so we always talk about that magical band that opened for us in Tennessee, Ornament. Oh yeah, but yeah, they're this good. is like the fourth time we talked about this. So maybe <laughs> we won't. But they have nothing out. They will. They were really great. You guys all live in Brooklyn, right? Living Queens. Like lives in Queens. Oh nice. Whereabouts? Ridgewood. Oh yeah. Cool. How yeah. often are you guys going out and seeing live music in Brooklyn when you're home from, from tour? Quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a few nights a week. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Easy TV, take it away. Falling down, 
change directions around Pops wants to use Let it all through Oh, I know it's now I can't go on In racing to stop Backwards like a flash Going nowhere Time moves fast Wasteless racing country All on you That's about all the time we've got for tonight But uh, many thanks for checking out tonight's B-side Massive gratitude to the men of Easy TV for serenading us this evening. Uh, make sure to pick up High in Place at your local music store. It makes the perfect stocking stuffer. I'm Steve. Here's to big things for all of us in 2017. Good night, Brooklyn. The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Oxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Kyrell Palmer. For more information about B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, check out brickartsmedia.org slash radio.